Good morning, Rivertree family. I am Jay, one of the pastors here at Rivertree, and it's a joy. Uh, for those in the room, thank you for being here online at downtown. Thank you so much for being with us and worshiping with us. It's a joy uh, to continue to be in God's Word. And if you're new here, one of the things we do at Rivertree is we preach through books of the Bible. You would call this expositional preaching. So we kind of start at the beginning and we work our way through different books. And the joy in this is that you get to kind of see this kind of unfolding thing happening in Scripture. So something that's kind of taking place over multiple chapters, multiple books, multiple ideas kind of coming to fulfillment. And it also means we have to preach some difficult texts from time to time, ones that we don't always enjoy. And so that's kind of one of those today. So today, if you prepared for this, if you kind of read ahead, this is the church discipline passage. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is church discipline. Church discipline. But before we do, I want to kind of set the kind of mood of this passage to make sure we understand where we've been heading with this. So a couple weeks ago, we were in this passage and we talked about the idea of these, these disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, who's gonna be at the place of honor? And when they do that, Jesus calls a little child to himself and he sits the child in his lap and he says, unless you can be like one of these, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say, and if you lead just one, of these little ones astray. It's better that a millstone be tied around your neck and you be cast into the ocean. What Jesus is saying is he cares deeply about the one, about the individual, that each and every soul is of great importance to him. And then he goes on and he illustrates this further as he moves into this parable and he talks about the shepherd. The shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them runs away. And what does the good shepherd do? He goes and he finds the one, not because the one is worthy of being found. He goes and finds the one because he's the good shepherd and he loves the sheep. And so he goes and he brings the one back. Again, illustrating this idea for us of how important the one individual is to our Savior. He cares deeply, deeply about the one. And that kind of mode, mood, that idea that we're seeing will help us understand better this idea of church discipline, which when we all kind of hear church discipline, we kind of shudder a little bit. We kind of get a little uncomfortable. You may have came from a church where it did not go well. And so it is kind of, kind of a tough passage, but I think kind of understanding what's happening before it will help us understand better what's happening in this passage. So I'm going to read it, then I'm going to pray, and then we'll kind of jump into it. So it says in verse 15, or Matthew 18, Verse 15, starting there, reading through 20. says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't even pay attention to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Truly, I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am among them. So when we think about church discipline, we think about it as kind of this big thing that's taking place, this kind of monumental moment in the life of the church where something is about to happen. So you get ready, you see your kind of your brother, your sister in sin, and you're like, okay, 
It's time to initiate step one of the church discipline process. So you get on your computer, you type an email, you send it to the pastors and you're like, hey, I just want you to know I'm talking to this person today and step one has been initiated. So get ready because if this doesn't go well, we'll be moving to step two. I don't think that's what this is intending for us to read it as at all, actually. So Megan, my wife, and I got permission to tell this story about her, let it be known. So she has this incredible opportunity throughout her life. She was an army brat, so she moved around. I know many of y'all experienced that. She moved around a lot doing that. She's lived in many different states. Then she was a missionary, so she lived kind of all over the world. And because of that, Megan has friends everywhere. Wonderful friends, friends that I love and friends that I know she loves, right? All across the spectrum, she has them both. There's one in particular that I do like quite a bit. Her name is Liz. And for a time, Liz would have been Megan's best friend when they were kind of living close together, just loving life together. And I like Liz a lot. So every once in a while, I'll say to Megan, Megan, have you talked to Liz recently? How's she doing? What's going on in her life? And she's like, oh, I haven't talked to Liz. Why haven't you talked to Liz? Like, why don't you call her now? She goes, oh, I can't call her. What do you mean you can't call her? She goes, well, Jay, I haven't talked to her in forever. So if I call her, I will have to talk to her for hours. And I just can't do that. I don't have to. I'm like, she used to be your best friend. She's like, I know, Jay. I want to talk to her, but I just can't call her. So really what Megan has presented is two options in this case. The first option is that because it's been so long and because the conversation would take so long, she just doesn't call her. The second option is that she kind of bites the bullet, as you say, and she calls her on the phone and she has this long conversation with her. And in Megan's mind, that's the two options. But Megan, there's, there is a third option. You know that, right? I was like, you could just call her today, have a 15-minute conversation with her. In a few weeks, you could send her a text. And then a week after that, you could message her on one of these social media things. Like, you, you could just have regular conversations with her. And then this moment, this time that you're going to talk to her wouldn't seem like that big of a deal. Why don't you, why don't we go that direction? And I think often this story will help, or this story helps inform us about what's supposed to be happening in this passage. This is not like some event, right? Where it's like step one, step two, step three, what it's holding out to us. And what Jesus is saying is this is the normal Christian life. This is the way Christians are meant to live. And Hebrews chapter 3 informs us of this. So in Hebrews chapter 3, it says in verse 12, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. What scripture is holding out to us or what the story here is saying is that actually this is the daily life. Do this day by day. Be in constant communion with people again and again and again. And this is why here we hold out different events for us, right? We have life groups and we have women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies and these things that we're saying, come and be a part of this. So that you can day by day be walking this life out with your brother. From time to time in town, I'll see some of you at a coffee shop 
at a restaurant eating together with your Bibles open, talking about Jesus. This is the life. This is what it's calling to us. And you say, well, but what, how does that help? Well, it helps this kind of minor thing from becoming this bigger event. So I'm out with a guy and he speaks in bitterness about his spouse. And I'm like, well, I didn't like that. That was probably not the right heart. But I don't know. So I, I don't worry about it. Kind of let it slide. But then he gets angry at his wife, disappointed in his wife frustrated with his wife this divide between grows between them and then all of a sudden he's having an affair on his wife and now i have to go to him and i have to say to him brother you are in sin but if i just done what scripture's holding out to us i could have stopped it here i could have gone after this event earlier in the day by day walking out of the christian life instead of waiting but so often we wait. And one of the things we hold out from time to time is this idea of like friendship, right? Friendship is accepting. The church should be accepting of people. But that's not what real friendship is. Friendship is accepting, but it also has to be aspirational or it's not friendship. My wife, Megan, would be a bad wife if she looked at me and said, I accept you just as you are. I hope you never change. What she does is say, I accept you as you are, but I aspire for you to be more. The church, the community of believers says, we're accepting of people coming in, but we aspire for them to be more than what they currently are. We aspire for them to be more like Christ day by day. That's the life that we're calling them to. Friendship is accepting, but if it's not aspirational, then it's not friendship. It desires and wants more for people. And the question is why? Why do all this? Why get caught up in this life? Well, Scripture tells us in 15, it says, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. The idea here is what we're doing is we're saying to people, you're in sin, come back. Come back into the family of God. Be like Christ. Be more like Christ. We're welcoming back in. And I think Jesus puts it here, right? Because we're going to go through these other steps and they're intense. But Jesus says here, and I think he puts it here because most of the time he knows this works. Sin ends here. It dies here in these one-on-one -on -one conversations between brothers and sisters talking about the gospel. And if we can do it here, we can prevent the later. That's what he wants from us. That's what he desires. And another thing, when he says this, he says between you and him alone. Between just you and your brother. So often, I'm guilty of this too. There's this event, I need to talk to somebody. And I'm like, before I do that though, I need to go talk to my friend. So I can get some good advice on what to say. And we kind of bring other people into it. What he's saying here is go to him alone. Just you, between you and him, go to him. This is the daily walking out of the Christian life. We here, we, River Tree, we hold out this idea, helping one another know Jesus by sharing the gospel in our lives. We share in our lives with each other. Well, what happens after this? Where does it go? And it's good to remember, guys, that the reason we're doing this is to bring people back into the kingdom. To say to them, we want you to know 
that you need to follow Christ and follow him well. Because it's, the ante is kind of raised, right? As we head into verse 16, it says, but if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. So now it's getting more serious. More people are getting involved. But there is one thing us as a church, I want us to understand what he did not say. What he did not say at this point is go to your elders and bring them with you. Jesus is saying to y'all, you have the capability of doing this. The elders, the pastors don't have to be brought into every situation. There's authority that rests in you. So he's kind of taking this living out of what he's talking about, of how the shepherd goes after the one, and he put it in a one-on-one relationship, and now he's saying, now we're taking it from the one-on-one to the church. And this is how the church is the good shepherd to its people. This is how the church does this well. They go to them. And it says, by the testimony of two or three witnesses, this is a quote of Deuteronomy 19. And there's reasons, right? I think it's good. One, it's just to establish this, hey man, this is actually true. Like, I'm not the only one that's noticed this sin in your life. These other people have as well. That's why we're here talking to you about it. But also it gives us courage. It's not an easy thing to go to someone and call them out on their sin. It's hard and difficult. And especially when the, the situation has kind of kept going up, right? They've kind of rejected, rejected. It's like, man, I don't want to go again. And what Jesus is saying, you don't have to go alone. Take someone with you. And y'all go together and call them out on their sin. Y'all do this together. And he's starting to establish here there's something significant about the group, about the people doing it together. Because he rolls on into verse 17. And this is where, like, we start to get really worried. Right? We start to get uncomfortable as a church. He says, if he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. This is not a good moment. This is not fun. This is not exciting. But I do want to point something out. The reason he's doing this is not to shame people. The currency of Jesus Christ is not and has never been shame. It's not what he wants for people. He wants redemption. He wants reconciliation. He wants to bring people back into the family. That's what he's going for here. That's what he wants to see happen. But man, it makes us uncomfortable. And in that uncomfort, what I hope you would do is it would break your heart for step one. It would break your heart to know that most people would never move past step one if we would just be faithful in doing that and going to a brother one-on-one. If we would just do that, man, we could avoid ever taking something before the church. Let that be us, brokenhearted for the lost, so that we can bring them back into the church. That's where we want them to be. I think there's some other things that are happening here too. After that, he says, if he doesn't pay attention to the church, let him be like a Gentile or a tax collector. Oftentimes in the New Testament, when we hear Gentile and tax collector, we're thinking of like these people outside of the kingdom of God. These not non-Christians, as you would say. And we think when we hear about church discipline, what we think about is like, okay, we're voting this person and they're out. They're completely out. They're not even welcome in these walls. Be mean to them, unkind to them ungracious. But the thing is, our life as Christians, we're to be like who? Like Jesus. How did Jesus treat these people in the New Testament? How did Jesus treat the tax collector and the Gentile with love and graciousness and kindness and mercy? 
That's how Jesus treats them, so that's how we want to treat them. But what is he saying? Is there something different in the way that we should treat them? Yes, absolutely. When I was little, I'm sure many of you had mothers like this. I might be at the ballpark, and I may have found me a buddy. And me and this buddy might be playing, and it might have elevated into doing something that we weren't supposed to be doing. Right? So my mom comes around the corner, and she sees me, and I'm right in the midst of causing problems. And immediately I know, oh man, the hammer is about to drop. So my mom calls me over and she drops the hammer. Son, you are in trouble for what you did. And I say, mom, but what about Johnny? She goes, Johnny ain't part of this family, Jay, but you are. That's what we're saying. There's something significant about being part of this family. That those that aren't Christians exist on the outside of it. And those that are, are invited to the table to be a part of it. That's where we want them to be. And this answers a question. One of the great kind of bombs that's lobbed at the church again and again is the church is full of hypocrites. People that don't really love the Lord. What Jesus is saying is an answer to that problem. He's saying, if they don't love the Lord, if they don't act as Christians, don't let them be part of the church. Get them out. Say to them, brother, you are welcome here on Sunday morning, but you are not part of this church. You are not part of this family. And I, we hear it all the time. All of you hear it. You've all heard someone say to you, I'd go to church if it wasn't full of hypocrites. Jesus, this is part of his answer to that problem. He's saying, if they don't live like Christians, don't welcome them. And the reason we don't welcome them is to invite them in, to say something about them. We don't think you're a Christian. And that's what continues on as Jesus is teaching us in 18. He says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind, bound, bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. So when I was in Nepal as a missionary, there was this family that lived, my next door neighbors, and their mother passed away while I was living there. And they kind of embalmed the body and they just kind of sit it out for about a week in the family's home. And the neighbors will all come and what they'll do is they'll bring money, they'll bring food, they'll bring jewelry, and they just kind of lay it in front of this woman's body. So I'm like, what, what are you doing with that? And they're like, oh, we're giving it to her so she can take it into the next life. We're binding it to her so it can go with her. But we know, right? As Christians, we know you take nothing with you. You came into this life with nothing and you will leave with nothing. She took none of those things with her. But there is one thing and one thing only you do take with you. And that's what you did with Jesus Christ. How did you answer that question? And that one does matter. And in 1 John, it says, in 1 John 5, these things I have written to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. When people tell me they're a Christian, one of my responses always, if I'm not sure, I'm like, well, do you know you're going to heaven? And if they say no, I'm like, brother, we need to talk then. Because scripture is clear on this. You can know. Well, the question is, how do you know? So imagine you get up to heaven and you raise your hand. Or sorry, God asked the question, um, who should get in? And you're like, me, God. Like, I should get in. So you, standing before the creator of the universe, is like, yep, I'm in, God. Right here, look at me. Now imagine you're, you enjoy acting. And you're at Huntsville High. You're a senior. 
man, you're, you're good. You've been in a few plays. You got to be the lead a couple times. You're just great. And this freshman shows up and this freshman's like, hey, are you a good actor? And you say, man, I've been the lead a couple times. I've, I've, you know, people clap for me. I'm good. I'm a good actor. And that freshman's like, this is so cool. I just met the best actor at Huntsville High. And they're so excited. But the next day, your teacher says, hey, guys, I've got a guest today, or a few guests coming in to help us with acting. And Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington, Meryl Streep, Al Pacino, whoever, walk in. And they ask, are you a good actor? Are you going to raise your hand? Be like, me. I'm a good actor. No. You wouldn't be that crazy but you would do it before a holy God? You would say, God, I'm supposed to be in. And there is a, an answer there that says, like, I have, like, the righteousness of Christ has been given to me by faith. But there's something else that's happening in this passage that's good for us to understand. What he's saying is he's saying, whatever you bind. So he's talking about us as he built this kind of argument for the authority of the group. He's saying, whatever you bind in heaven will be, or bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So the keys of the kingdom have been given to the church. And the church is then binding and loosing. So to bind someone is to bring them in and for us to say about that person, you are a Christian. We believe this thought about you. So that you just don't on your own authority say you're a Christian, but on the authority of this church you begin to do it. And then the loosing becomes this other side where we're saying like, look brother, you might be a Christian. We might see you in heaven, but what we want you to know as a group, we collectively do not think that you are. Because you have been in open rebellion against God and you have not repented of your sins. All we can say about you is that you're outside the family. So the church is doing this again and again. It's bringing people in. It's saying about them that they're a Christian. And it's pushing people out saying they're not. This is what baptism is. So if you run up here real fast and you're like, Jay, I want to be baptized. I've got more questions. Because what I know is when I baptize you, I'm saying about you, not only do you believe you're a Christian, I believe you're a Christian. And so I baptize them. Saying, brother, I believe that you are. Not only me, but we believe that you are a Christian. That's what the church is doing. It's bringing people in and sending people out. The church is making a statement about you by inviting you into membership. It's saying about you that we believe this person is a Christian, that they know the Savior of the world. And he goes on in verse 19, he says, Truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. So this is not a like, hey, let me figure out how to scheme God real quick. So I pray for something, and it doesn't happen. I'm like, well, Matthew 18, 19 says, I just need another brother to pray with me, and the two of us together, we will get what we want. That's not the idea that wants to be held out. What he's saying is he's pointing at the church, saying when y'all agree on things, when y'all are there and you're in sync with what I want you to be, when you pray for the things that I want you to pray for, and if you're chasing after me, you will pray for those things, and those things will be given to you. He's pushing authority back to the church, saying there's something significant about what y'all are doing. And we're praying for that which God already wants. And I've used this example before, but it's like I'm sitting at dinner, and my child says, I want more ice cream. 
And I say, you can't have more ice cream. You've had enough. But if my child says, I want more green beans, guess what I will give them? I will give them more green beans because it's good for them. They're in sync with what I want for them. When we pray as God wants us to pray, he gives us those things. That's what he's saying. The church can do that together. And he continues that thought on in verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. He's given authority to this group to do something very significant. And what this is not, and I've never heard Alan say this. I've never heard Josh say this. I've never heard any of our pastors say this. But I've probably said it at some point in my life. And I imagine you've heard a worship leader say this idea of like, Lord, we're here. Come, come in. Like two or three are gathered. The Spirit is here. And the answer to that question is yes, the Spirit is always here. Well, because he's always everywhere. But the passage is not about that. The passage is saying my spirit is here among you. That you as a group have authority to bind things and loose things. To bring things in and send them out. That's what he's arguing for. We have a song we sing from time to time here called Holy, or one of the lines is Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. What this song is not saying is like we have to invite the Holy Spirit in so he will come into our worship. What Josh and Alan want for you in that song to experience is this idea of like the Holy Spirit is here like Make yourselves aware of that. Like, know that he is here and be a part of that worship. That's the thing that we're going for. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so if you stand on the outside of that, if you're not fully in, why not? Imagine you go, you're on I-65 and you're heading up to Nashville. And you get to 840. And you're like, you know what, I'm going to go to Knoxville. So you take 840 and head to Knoxville. And then we talk later, and you're like, I went to Nashville today. Like, what? No, you didn't. That's not Nashville. You kind of went up there, and you kind of hit the outskirts of Nashville, and then you never really went in. Or you're like, you know what? Actually, I drove all the way up to 440, and Memphis, and I went to Memphis. You're like, I went to Nashville. I'm like, did you? Did you really go to Nashville? You kind of stayed on the periphery of it. Never actually going into it. Then you call back and you say, look, I went to Nashville. I went downtown. I went to the Grand Ole Opry. I went to a Titans football game. I'm like, oh, yeah, you went to Nashville. And so often in this Christian walk, we kind of stand on the periphery. We stand out here. We never actually join into what's happening. We never actually fully commit to be a part of it. And guys, we want you fully in so you can experience this so you can have someone also say about you we believe this person is a christian we believe this person has followed jesus christ so when you stand before god it's not just on your own authority that you're saying these things it's on this body's authority that you're saying these things this body is saying about you we believe that person is a christian and if you're sitting here today and you're not even that you're not even the person that's a christian kind of existing you're just not a Christian. I want you to know something. Scripture has told us to go after you, and we are coming after you. Our greatest desire is that you would know the Savior and be brought into this wonderful family. And we will not stop because that's what Christ desires of us, to be like him, to be the good shepherd that pursues the lost. So go ahead. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much, Lord.
for your good word. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us, Lord, into your, yeah, into your church, Father God, that you've given us this church, Lord, to help us grow, to be more like you. Um, and Lord, I just pray that, Lord, that we as a church take this serious, that when membership means something here, and we know that it does, um, and I pray that it continues to do so, that, Lord, that those that know they're part of the family know that, um, that they are, and they can say that with full confidence. Lord, and I just pray um, for this time of worship as we finish. Lord, let us, res- let us worship in response um, to knowing that you are a good and holy God um, who pursues the lost. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.